Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristram Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and I'm a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is growing bold and changing social attitudes. And our guest is Lisa Cox, an award-winning media professional, author, public speaker, and amputee. In this episode, we'll discover just how Lisa lost her leg, her toes, and fingertips, how society started treating her differently, what it meant for her relationships and her career, and what she decided to do about it. Lisa, welcome to Grow Bold with Disability. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Good to be here. So Lisa, let's go back to 2005 and life was pretty good. You're a university graduate with two degrees, Bachelor of Business Communications and Media. You play lots of representative sport, have moved into your own place, have been promoted to your dream job at an advertising agency. Um, and then you suddenly collapse in Melbourne airport and a rush to the hospital. What exactly happened? Yeah. So life was pretty sweet at the time. I was 24. At Melbourne Airport, flying home to see my family, um, working working in corporate and advertising agencies, and uh, without any warning, as most strokes or brain hemorrhages are, I had a brain hemorrhage, like a stroke, and went into hospital after that within a coma for three weeks, life support for two months, and in hospital for over a year the first time. So I've been back many times since to surgeries and things, but. During that first year, my left leg, my right toes, and nine of my fingertips were amputated. Um, I've had heart surgery twice and total hip replacement. There are all the things you can see, I suppose, disabilities and, and whatnot. I use a wheelchair now and I have a prosthetic leg. But there's a heap going on upstairs, all the invisible disabilities you can't see because of my brain injury. I'm over 25% blind, I have epilepsy, chronic fatigue, and I'm very uncoordinated. <laughs> So there's, there's a lot you, you can't see, and I suppose they are the bigger challenges to my day-to-day life than, than my wheelchair, my prosthetic leg, and things you can see. So let's just go back, brain hemorrhage slash stroke. Mm-hmm. What, that's, is, that's quite strange for a 24-year-old. It's a bit out of the ordinary. What yeah. do they think brought it on? It was that, and I have no medical background, obviously, a rare form of the streptococcus A virus. So to this day, no one knows quite how I got the strep A um, going on what one of the professionals told my parents can be the sort of thing you pick up at the supermarket or and just, just randomly like a, a normal cold. But my immune system at the time, um, while other bodies may have just fought it off, mine just went, well, let's just shut down and go to sleep and let it ruin everything. <laughs> really, really made a mess of my day. For sure, for sure. And I mean, in terms of your recovery after all that time of hospital and after after what you experienced, you had to relearn a lot of things. How, how frustrating is that um, to be relearning things that, that you previously were able to do? It was so, so frustrating. And I really had to um, swallow my pride, learn, learn to accept help and ask for help. So I was previously and, and still am in many ways this you know, fierce, ambitious, independent woman, and I can do anything. But then at the start, I'd have to uh, turn around and ask for help tying my shoelaces or something as simple as that. And I couldn't even 
feed myself, dress myself, sit myself up in bed. And it was very, very frustrating because as um, people with, with different disabilities will know, your brain is, is still functioning at its relatively normal capacity, but physically your body is, is really not keeping up. So my mind was going 100 miles a minute, but I couldn't even lift my arms and legs off the bed. So it was, it was very, very frustrating and slowly but surely just had to relearn all of those important life skills like, like a toddler, I suppose, dressing and feeding myself again and, and all those sorts of things. What about your mental health at this stage? How was that? Because as you say, your brain's working, but your body's not. How did you cope with that mentally as well? Well, for the first few months, first several months, I was on a lot of really, really strong medication for pain. My hands and feet were quite literally washing off. Um, so I was a bit of a space cadet for, for several months there. But as people with some sort of brain injury might know, you just suddenly start realising what exactly is going on. And I I find myself crying for absolutely no reason. And when I say absolutely no reason, in in some ways I had had good reason to, but other times there'd just been no reason. So it's it's really been a learning process for me over several years, uh, learning to, to live comfortably with with my new brain instead of instead of fighting all the time. But with regard to mental health, I know going back a decade or two anyway, there was a real, real stigma around things like anxiety and that sort of thing. So it's something that I try and speak openly about. I'm diagnosed with clinically diagnosed anxiety, PTSD, health anxiety as well. So COVID's been horrible for a lot of people and in the disability community, but it's been really, really nightmarish for for people like me who have health anxiety and we're already scared of germs, I suppose. So, yeah, mental health wasn't great, but I've, I've certainly got a lot better at getting under control these days. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, in terms of that stigma, it's just not mental health, but it's also disability more in general. You were thrust into the disability community. Yes. Um, what were the some of the hardest things to adapt to with, with you know, your, your uh, diagnosis and, and what you're experiencing? I've, I've written and, and spoken about these sorts of things a bit with my advocacy work and I make the point that um, it's one of the, I wouldn't call it an advantage, but one of the ways I advocate is to compare my before and after life because I have clear recollections of before and after. So obviously I had changed a lot, both physically and and all sorts of other things. But what really astounded me more was the way society treated me as a woman with disabilities. So whether that be in the employment sector, socially, or so, so many other ways, um, yeah, different different scenarios obviously um, call for different examples, but I've written about this, something as simple as getting married or dating and those sorts of things, how publicly I was perceived before and then after. Mm. What, what are some of the stereotypes that you came across or you still come across? Okay, well, I suppose if I link it back to something like the media or popular culture, the only, I'm generalising here, but the only two stereotypes we see of disability are, one, if you're a Paralympian, and they're also mm-hmm. people, no, no disrespect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
if if you're not if you're not that, then you must be this really miserable person whose life is over because they're now in a wheelchair and um, something to be pitied or sympathised. Yeah. Given some, and there are absolutely some really really sad stories out there. I've seen them personally through my work. I'm not discounting that, but there is this massive, massive sector of the disability community who are just getting on with life, doing the grocery shopping, cleaning the house, cooking dinner, taking the kids to school with the disability. And that that part of the um, the community doesn't really get any airtime. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We're, we're not inspiring for going and buying a carton of milk at the shops, are we? It's, how, do we how do we normalise this? <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And um, Stella Young, who a lot of the listeners will know, coined the phrase inspiration porn, where yeah. sort of that um, objectification of people's disabilities for being, being inspirational. It can, be, it can sometimes be difficult for people without disabilities to know when, when to use the word in sport. Or that sort of thing, and I always say, if you wouldn't use it for a non-disabled person, then it's probably not right to use for me. So if I climb Mount Everest in my wheelchair, go for your life. That's inspiring because anyone who can do that, I think it's pretty inspiring. But if I'm just going down to the supermarket to buy a buy a liter of milk, um, I don't need to be called an inspiration or no. <laughs> and I have been, unfortunately, just doing grocery shopping, going to the gym. Oh, it's so good to see you out. Oh, you're, you're so motivated. It's such inspiration. And I, I try not to get on my soapbox and lecture the poor person because I, I realise <laughs> it's probably a result of you know, decades of ingrained um, stereotypes in popular culture and those sorts of things which have made them jump to that conclusion and say those sorts of things. Just, just while you're on that, have you noticed it's changed even in the last year, two years, where people are more accepting for people with disabilities? You know, they're in the workforce a lot more. They're on our TVs a lot more. They're on our radios. We're seeing more of them, just podcasts like this, as opposed to what it was five, six, seven years ago when those people were a little bit more ignorant to everything. I, I definitely have noticed a change, which is so, so great to see. Obviously, we have a long, long way to go, mm-hmm. but I definitely have noticed a change. And... One of the reasons for that is looking back to who controls the narrative. And by that I mean 10, 10 years ago or so, it was only the, the handful of media executives, for example, mm-hmm. who were controlling the narrative around disability. And that's largely how we saw a lot of those stereotypes of things forming. But these days, guys like yourself have their own podcast, their own media channels. I've got my own my own stuff going on and we're really getting to change that narrative and make visibility or sorry, make disability more visible. Yeah, great. And in terms of that visibility as well, one of the most powerful things to normalize disability is obviously employment. Um, yes. with work for yourself, do prospective employers treat you differently post your oh, absolutely. And I've written about this before in that Prior to disability, I would walk into a place of employment, hand over my resume, two degrees, qualifications, my portfolio of work. Um, fast forward a year or two and I found myself with exactly the same resume, exactly the same portfolio of work. The only difference was I was wheeling it mm-hmm. where, where I could if I had a wheelchair access. Um, and 
the reactions that I got were substantially different and obviously didn't didn't always always land the job and the fact especially that I was working in a, a forward facing media industry sort of got a few raised eyebrows that say, What you why? How and why would you possibly want to make yourself visible when you've got disabilities, physical disabilities? You look so different from from what we normally see in media. That that can't be right. So were you, were they giving you work that wasn't suitable for your qualifications, like like dumbing it down? Or you just go over here in the corner and shuffle some files, sort of thing? That did happen. That definitely did happen sometimes. I know my my very first appointment with an occupational therapist who was on the job of getting me back into the workforce. He sat there and looked through my list of disabilities, what I couldn't do. Um, and basically, and I, I don't want this to, to sound offensive, pretty much said, okay, well, we'll get you a job, you know, filing or packing some shelves or doing something really, 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 really basic. Now that's, well, that's great for, great for some people. Mm. It definitely, Definitely wasn't right for me, and he was he was qualified, like a really really experienced guy <laughs> working in the field yeah. um, of disability employment. So this, I suppose, these low expectations we have, yeah. it's not just something that people really really far removed from the sector have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's let's also change tack a little bit. Let's get some goss. What about relationships? How was the dating scene? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll I'll start by saying I am now quite happily married. Yes, <laughs> over eleven years to an amazing, amazing man. But have I let to swear? Fuck me, it was terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, dating with disabilities. I I suppose in the in the past I I'd met um, met people through work, through sport, and. Um, all those sorts of things. So I now didn't play those sorts of sports anymore. Worked for myself and um, all my my ways of, of meeting people that I would have normally had really gone out the window. I wasn't much of a, a bar and club person that had the accord of me far too many times by drunk guys who just didn't know there was someone in a wheelchair behind them. <laughs> um, yeah, I was really fortunate in that I had a disabled friend who gave me a bit of a heads up prior to um prior to entering the, the dating world and I, I did figure on a few dates before meeting my husband. It wasn't a case of first guy I met who showed interest and I went, Yes, please <laughs> Um Yeah, she she basically gave me a heads up and said, be careful of the ambulance chases. And at the time that that didn't really mean a lot to me, but I, I soon found out unfortunately who the ambulance chases are. That the guys who or girls who want to, to swoop in and rescue you and mm-hmm. be be your saviour because poor you with a disability life must be so miserable and life would be so much better with them. Um, so, yeah, be, be worried of the ambulance streets, I guess. And then, to be completely honest, I also found the types of, of guys, not all, but some who were all wishing to wishing to go on a date with me, um, how do I say this diplomatically? Well, else I'll say diplomatically. They, you got the impression they, they tried dating all the women in the, the non-disabled 
world and that hadn't worked. So now they were really scraping the bottom of the <laughs> And oh, shit, if I must, okay, I'm so disabled. And you really, it, it was blatantly obvious to me and I couldn't get out of those stakes fast enough. But yeah. they're, they're two that I would, I would definitely warn the guys and girls out there to be, to be wary of. You also wrote a really interesting piece for the Mamma Mia website about living with disability uh-huh. and how it equals living with relationship stereotypes and how people uh-huh. have a lot of trouble computing the fact that disability and a fulfilling relationship can actually work. Why, yes. was, that, why was that important to write that story? For, for so many reasons. My husband, the number of times he has been confused as my carer or people speak <laughs> to him instead of, instead of to me when I'm the one with the credit card is just <laughs> it's infuriating, I swear. But um, I, I wrote that, I suppose, to give your audience some context. I've got, got a wedding ring, engagement ring on my, on my wedding finger and I was in a, in a supermarket or in a shop paying for something one day and the, the woman behind the counter exclaimed, oh, wow, oh, you're married. Oh, that's so good to see. Um, it, was, it was almost a shock and surprise that a woman with disabilities could possibly be in a fulfilling mm. relationship. And that certainly wasn't the first time it happened to me. I remember even when I told people that I was engaged or, or married, that that same shock and surprise and really wow good for you <laughs> and once again inspiration able, porn almost isn't it <laughs> oh, yeah. once again i was able to compare my before life with my with mm. my afterlife and i've been in some some fairly long-term relationships before and not once did anyone say oh good for you yeah and um not once did anyone call my my partners at the time oh what a good man just just for being with me. Mm. Um, but my husband, unfortunately, today is congratulated and praised just for choosing to be with me and choosing to marry a woman with disabilities. It's a little bit, it's a lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot frustrating, but that's, if anything, it, it fuels me to keep doing the work I'm doing in, in changing those stereotypes and speaking with the non-disability community about those stereotypes rather than just communicating in the silo. Yeah. 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 And in terms then of um all the work you're doing in changing those stereotypes, what what would sort of be the one thing that you would want people to know about amputees and disability? What's the one message you want to just get people to realise um based on all your experiences? With disability generally, it's that we are all completely different. So just because you know another guy in a wheelchair or another girl who had a stroke or another amputee doesn't mean they are anything like me except for a medical diagnosis. Um, in the same way that all, all Asian men or all Indian mm. women or <laughs> all Muslims are all completely different, um, never, never make assumptions that you, the number of times I've had people come up to me and they find out I've had a stroke and I say, oh, my, my granddad had a stroke. I know. I know <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, you, you have no idea. <laughs> um, we, we are all so, so different. Um, I've got some, some girlfriends in wheelchairs and we're, we're all good friends, but we have completely different tastes in music or yeah. Yeah. and those sorts of things. With relation to um, amputees and... I suppose if you ever see an amputee or you're or you're about to become one or something, don't assume that that's that's 
the end of life and life is over and so miserable and because that is unfortunately the stereotype I had in my head and where I found out my leg was going to be amputated, I just cried my eyes out and I thought, this is it, I've, I, can't, I can't possibly lead a fulfilling life now, my, my leg is gone. But that's a lot of BS and it's it's only through lived experience and learning that, hey, I, I can get on with, with a really great life, even if it only has one leg in it. Um, mm. Don't don't fall victim to the, yeah, thinking thinking those stereotypes. If you do thinking those stereotypes, if you do see someone who is an empty, they don't necessarily need your, your pity or sympathy. They may be perfectly happy and loving their life um, so, you know, if, if in doubt, maybe ask if you if you know them well enough. So, Lisa, as you know, this podcast is called Grow Bold with Disability, and we always like to ask our guests, what does living a bold life mean to you? For me personally, serving more people than just myself, I'm so bloody grateful to be here every day. I'm not supposed to be medical professionals saw my parents so I wouldn't be alive in the morning. They might have turned off my life support. So every day to be able to advocate for people who perhaps can't advocate for themselves is a bloody privilege. It really is. That's amazing, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Grow Bowl with Disability podcast brought to you by Ferroscare. And our listeners can find out more about Lisa, her books, her journey in the links provided in today's episode show notes. Lisa Cox, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, guys. This podcast is brought to you by Ferroscare, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Feral's Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold. And for over 30 years, Feral's has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to feralscare.com.au.